You know that thing when you hang out with someone for a little while, a more extended period of time than usual, and you start to sound like them? Like when I listen to NPR on the regular, you can always tell because I start saying things like nuanced <laughs> and curated. So th this talk has been curated for you, and I do hope that there's some nuance that makes it both universal and personal for you. To me, it's so fascinating that the more time you spend with someone, the more you'll actually, whether you've decided to or not, you'll start to reflect them. You start to use their vocabulary or maybe their hand gestures. Or maybe you'll start to mimic their facial cues. But they say imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? My wife can watch a show that's set in the South. And immediately, she will begin to speak with an accent. I was just with a teacher named Rob Bell for a few days this week, and he's got this head thing that he does. And he'll kind of position himself, and when he starts to understand something, he goes, mmm, that's it, yeah, that's it. And when you're in the audience, it feels super, super insincere. <laughs> And like, oh my, he thinks he's so clever. And I think he does think he's clever. I also think he's clever. But it's so interesting, He'll, he has these phrases like, um, maybe it's baked into the whole thing. And he'll say something like that to try and communicate how the vastness of the universe is utterly spiritual and how making a sandwich is equally as spiritual. That maybe it's, it's all baked into the whole thing. So this morning, I say this to you because I may end up imitating Rob because I've been watching him all week. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in the absence of a fleshly Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul understood that we're all looking for living examples to imitate. And that for a lot of us, we get hung up on trying to be perfect examples as opposed to just recognizing and owning that it is enough for us to be living examples. Those who are trying to follow Jesus, those who are trying to be a part of his kingdom breaking in. And so this morning, uh, we're gonna look at a couple scriptures and I'm gonna tell a couple stories and my hope is that by the end, that you'll sense uh, Jesus' invitation to imitate him.
and to pick up on some of his vocabulary and to pick up on some of the ways that he does things and to really learn uh, from him what his heart is like. So let me pray for us and then we'll get into the scripture. So Lord, we, uh, we come this morning maybe knowing what we think we need or maybe not knowing at all. And so help us to not dictate this morning our expectations. And so, Spirit, we ask for freedom to be able to engage with you in the way that you desire to meet with us. So help us to be participants in that and to not be your adversaries. And so we ask for the joy of your abundant life and fullness to extend to us this morning. And I pray that your truth will set us free from weights that you haven't asked us to carry and fears that have been added to us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible or your phone or whatnot, uh, Matthew 28 is where we're going to start. It'll also be on the screen. Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is called the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. How heavy does that feel in your hands? It is the great commission, and it is intended for us. It feels heavy to me. Like, I don't know how to do that. Where would I find the people? It feels like there's a lot riding on this. I mean, Jesus came back from the dead, and this was what he said in that moment. It seems like there's, it's really important. It feels like I'm probably going to mess it up. And I might even get called into the cosmic principal's office. I mean, at the end, he says, and lo, I'm with you always. That's, that could be a terrifying statement. I always know what you're doing. This great commission, to me, feels really heavy. Really heavy in my hands. And most of us feel this way, especially when we look at the professional expert versions, right? The global evangelists. Look at how they do that. Or maybe it's the, uh, the person with all of the letters after their last name. 
and they're able to have an answer for every question related to the Bible. Or maybe it's the, the person on 4th and Main, and they got their blowhorn. And we look at these and we say, well, that's not me. I look at them and I say, that's not me. And yet, that not being me doesn't excuse me from the great commission of making disciples. I want to tell you two stories. I have a friend that drinks almost as much coffee as I do. He works overnights, and he has for most of his adult life. And if you know anything about working overnights, it kind of destroys your day life. It can wreak havoc on your psyche. We're not, we're not designed to do that. So when you see someone working overnight, you might want to ask the question, why do they have that job? Most of them have not chosen to work overnight. It might be job three for them in that day. Or it could be that society has said, you're supposed to work overnight. That's your value, that's your place. This friend of mine was always looking for where he belonged and where he could feel secure. And for years, he would sleep on our living room floor, right by the fireplace, in between his work shifts. He's had a really rough relationship with people that say that they follow Jesus. He's been in and out of church for most of his life, but he was raised ultra-conservative. And he's tried to figure out what does he actually believe. And probably more accurately, now he's defined by what he doesn't believe than by what he does. And he's got old tattoos. And I don't mean old tattoos, meaning that they're faded. I mean old tattoos because he's actually gone back in and had tattoo artists put lines through them to cross them out. Because what he thought he believed when he got them, they don't line up anymore. And we talk about this a lot. And it's usually over breakfast. Well, breakfast for me, it would be, I guess it would be dinner for him, because he's been up all night. And it usually is at the fly trap in Ferndale, and I usually get the red flannel hash and douse it in their green fly swat sauce. Amazing. And both of us drink way too much coffee over the conversations. Especially him, because he's supposed to be going to bed after. And a couple of years ago, he moved out to a farm. And the last time that I went to see him, he said, I was thinking about you. And he said, I've got a bunch of raw, live-edge wood in this barn. 
And I thought, I thought you might want a piece, to which I jumped and said, heck yeah, and drove home awkwardly with the family and a huge piece of live edge going down the middle of our car. I have another friend, and this other friend I call my foster daddy brother. And we like to sit by each other at court dates. And our uh, wives text each other all the time. And we both like to laugh about how his foster son says his name, Adam. It's actually quite amazing because his foster son was nonverbal when he was placed with him. And now he has like over 100 words. And he knows his own name, Adam. And my foster daddy brother loves to restore things and to make really useful things out of what others have considered trash. It's literally his business. He even built a rat rod pickup truck from the ground up out of parts that he's collected. He can see beauty in brokenness. Tina decided that we would do a chili party and that we'd try to raise awareness and raise some funds for the foster care agency that we go through with Foster Daddy Brother. And it was super awesome. And apparently at some point during that party, Foster Daddy Brother saw this really raw piece of live edge that we were using to serve all the drinks. And somehow, he worked out a deal with Tina to come to our house while I was at work and to take that wood back to his workshop. Having so many different things going on, I never even noticed that the wood was gone. <laughs> and so, two weeks ago, sitting in a real estate class, I get a text from my foster daddy brother, and he says, Nate, I need your help. I've got this big piece I have to deliver. And I said, absolutely, we can hang out. And he's like, okay, I'll pick you up tonight. So I text Tina, and I'm like, hey, I got to help deliver this piece. And she's like, oh, cool, that, you know, that's fine, we're, we're busy. So I'm at home, and I'm waiting, and I get a text, hey, I'm out front. And so I go out front, and there's this big white delivery van. And I'm like, Rome, I'll be back. I'm going to go deliver this piece. And I walk out, and he opens the side door, and I was like, well, so where are we going? And he goes, oh, actually... Um, I need you to help me deliver it here. And I was like, oh, one of my neighbors ordered the pea? Like, in my brain, I'm like, what? And he opens the back, and this, this piece is in the back of the van. 
And I immediately become overwhelmed because it's the live edge from one friend crafted into absolute beauty by another. And he says to me, I had so much joy making this for you. In Matthew chapter 11, Matthew records another thing that Jesus said. In verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Gentle, humble, restful, easy, light. How heavy does that feel in your hands? See, something for me isn't lining up between the way that I respond to the Great Commission and the way that I respond to Jesus' invitation to come be with him. Something's disconnected. If Jesus was inviting us to come to share the yoke, to share the burden with him, to learn from him, and for this to bring us rest for our soul, we must be missing something. I must be missing something. Bo and I like to quote Eugene Peterson because Eugene Peterson took the Bible and he said, my church doesn't understand this. <laughs> and so he said, I think I'm gonna rewrite the Bible so my church could understand it. That's a pretty amazing statement just in itself. But the message version says this, Jesus was undeterred and went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. What if Jesus is commissioning us to do something that's actually way simpler than we've made it? In the original Greek, the imperative in the statement is to make disciples. But the word go can be translated 
as you are going, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, teach them. Wherever we go, as God's people, we are making disciples. Now how heavy does that feel in your hands? As you are going. What if making disciples was actually more about the way that we participated with other families in our neighborhood? What if that was making disciples? What if making disciples was the way that we treated our coworkers or even our boss? What if in order to make disciples, we actually had to keep up our gym attendance? Because when we go to the gym, the conversations that are had don't get had otherwise. What if making disciples meant that we had to get our heads out of our phones and actually interact with people? What if making disciples meant we chose the bank teller over the ATM and we learned their name and if they have kids or if their body was in pain? God may very well send you to a, to a particular place to fulfill a particular thing. Don't get me wrong. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. But what if that particular place was to say, I'm always going to get my groceries at this store. And I'm always going to choose this lane to talk to this clerk. Is that less majestic than going on a mission strip? What if Jesus' invitation to come and to learn from him is actually an invitation for us to learn how to be present in our relationships? And if Rob Bell were here, he would say, what if making disciples is baked into the whole thing. If it's true, you might just end up with a super kick-A table in your living room. Pray with me. So Lord, you're on the move, and you know your kids by name, You've created them and you breathe life into them. You formed them. And you have hope and you have destiny for them. And we believe that destiny is found and fulfilled in relationship to you. So we claim that for ourselves. We agree and we claim that for others. And so for this those that hear these words that are here, Lord, we, we want to make ourselves available to you and to your mission. We want to make ourselves available to you and to your redemptive work in this world, 
for the, the justice, for the salvation, for the deliverance, for the freeing, for the permission to rest. Lord, we make ourselves available to you and I ask that you would invite us and that you would invite us now and again this afternoon and tomorrow morning when we're distracted with the list for the day and again and again and again. And so we ask for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Love you.